What happens when you change a job and you find the drama followed you there? This week, we want to discuss how you might be part of the problem, what you can do to set realistic expectations in a new job, and how we can continue to move the profession forward while also working within the current realities of veterinary practice. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And one of the tough topics that we are facing, have been facing, will always probably face is what do you do if your job's not working out the way you think it should? Today, you've got more options than ever before. And of course, we always encourage you to change jobs if you're in a toxic workplace. But what happens when you trade one job for another set of problems? This week, we want to talk about that and a whole lot more. But before we do, as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, this is kind of an odd conversation to have with the viewfinders because you know, mm-hmm. for the past five years, we're like, hey, if you're in a crappy job, get out of there. Go get someplace that rewards and recognizes and respects you, right? And and what we're seeing now is as people have increased their job mobility, sometimes those complaints and problems persist. Well said with the job mobility. I like. I really like how you said that. Yeah, you're right. I think there are more and more opportunities. There's more and more mobility. There's more and more leverage. And, and, you know, especially on the technician side, we we are gaining the ground. Fact of the matter is, is we are gaining the ground that we've been trying to gain. So there is this constant kind of hanging threat, right? Like, I'll go somewhere better. Um, What defines better and what happens when you get there and that becomes the moving goalpost? Right. And and viewfinders, I'll share with you a story that kind of kicked off this conversation, although Becky and I have been talking around this for the past several months. But a young veterinarian uh, reached out to me and she had just changed jobs in the last four or five months. And she has been out of school about three years. And so she had her first job and now she's taken her second job. And basically the conversation went like this, you know, hey, I uh, wasn't really happy at my old workplace. I actually got an email kind of unsolicited saying, wow, there's an amazing offer, you know, nearby. And it had a tremendous signing bonus and a big bump in salary. So, you know, Becky, like anybody, she was like, hey, maybe I should try this. I'm not entirely happy with with my current situation. And this offers, you know, a lot more money. So I think I'll try it. Well, anyway, long story short, after a few months, she isn't as happy as she once was. In fact, part of her conversation with me was she says, look, you know, all the things that I was complaining about my old job, it seems like they follow followed me here. And the first part of this conversation, Viewfinders, is, okay, you know, what are our expectations and actually how are we arriving at them, right? Because, Becky, if, if the pursuit is to have the job make you totally happy and satisfied, that might be unrealistic for, for many of us. I mean, vet med is a, is a tough gig. Oh, man. Yeah. It is, but also it is fulfilling and rewarding if that is the right space and place for you to be in. And, um, you know, shout out counseling. Like I always like to say, therapy and counseling, that's where you ask that question because you're absolutely right. And what if you don't know what it is you're looking for, if you don't know what it is you find fulfilling um, – what 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 is what are you even looking for? Are you throwing darts? And I think this is a really important conversation because 
I don't know that we often define it. You know, we don't necessarily sit down and define happiness, frustration, unacceptable, you know, and, and write those things out. We kind of check them off and, and categorize them as we encounter them. Right. And, and viewfinders, we're, we're, there are obviously toxic workplaces, oh, yeah. right? So, And this was not one of them. Like, you know, honestly, nothing she mentioned to me. There was no harassment. I didn't think there was undue pressure. She didn't have a toxic colleague, you know, <laughs> sort of undermining her. I mean, it actually sounded like a, a really good job to me, Becky. I mean, and, and, and she made more money. But again, I think this gets back to the understanding your own personal why. In this situation, from what I could gather, she was like, just not perfect. So I had another opportunity for more money. So I thought maybe I would pursue it over here. And and again, Becky, you know, I think that that in and of itself isn't wrong. I don't have any disagreement with it, but I don't know that that's going to actually get you the solution you want, right? It's one thing to ask for more money and try to change the working conditions. But I think for me, I really want everybody, including myself, to do the personal work to kind of dig down to say, what is it that really motivates you? What inspires you to do the job? Because, you know, Becky, I've been doing this now for 31 years. And by answering those questions early in my career, like you said, in just a second ago, it's like, well, now I knew what I was looking for. And I pursued that. You know, it makes me think, too, about how frequently veterinarians, and I think veterinarians versus veterinary professionals here, because I do think a lot of us are born into working with animals, but I know so, and, and you know, we've talked about this for years, so many veterinarians who literally specifically, I always knew I wanted to be a vet. I, I knew from a young age, it's all I ever wanted to be. And so then it's kind of like, I think for me, I didn't fall into veterinary medicine by any means, but I tried out a lot of other things first. And I said, you know, I I still have this calling. I still have this pull to veterinary medicine, and this is where I want to go. And then, and then I followed up with that. And so then it's like, if you have forever built your dream around veterinary medicine, um, I guess it's like building your house around, you know, the furniture. It's like... But but then what? Now things don't fit together right. And so what happens when you're now in that built house and you don't like it? And so is it even that there is a – like maybe you're just looking for money because it turns out veterinary medicine isn't what you actually even like. Yeah, and that's a really – I love your analogy there because you're right. It's like picking a house, choosing to buy a house based on the furniture instead of looking at actually the foundation, what is the – floor plan? You know, do you like where the windows are placed? What about the yard? There's so much more to it. So I love that analogy because I do think it's applicable here. And I also appreciate the distinction too, Becky, because I understand that there are really two cohorts in this profession. There's one like me that since I was seven years old, I knew I was going to be a vet. That's really all I ever did. It was tunnel vision, you know, right or wrong. That's just my story. And then there are a lot of other people who, you know, figured out much later in life, uh, you know, either in college or post-college that, hey, I'm not happy over here. But all of those really do require us to do a lot of deep introspection. And and I've, I've said this for 25 years, I've tried to, you know, really impress upon my colleagues. And now again, back to vets, like you're saying, Becky, I'm saying, look, really dig deep down deep and say, why do you do what you do? Because by getting to that point, then resilience comes into play, right? And I know this is something you like to talk about, because at the end of the day, Becky, I can't I can't remove all challenges in your life. There are going to be 
clients who are ugly to us. They're going to be colleagues who just aren't as supportive and nurturing. They're going to be bosses and managers who just aren't always going to be the best bosses and managers. Now, again, unless they rise to the level of extreme harassment, toxicity, damage, and all that, you know, some of that is just part of life, you know? I mean, I would argue that my wife probably would say, yeah, my husband's a great husband, being me, (laughs) on some days, but other days I'm a disaster, you know? (laughs) But it doesn't (laughs) change. I bet she would not say that. But but I think actually my husband says I am a good wife because I am a disaster because like if he had to delineate the two, we would not be married. But I, I think, you know, but that's kind of it is it's like your wife, sorry to say, probably I would speculate dated a few other fellas before you and, and, and was able to settle on. This is the fella, right? And and she even had time at an earlier age to decide fellas were even where she wanted to fall. And so when we decide in our head, like, this is what this is going to be, and this is what this is, and this is what I want, and we have this all, this path laid out, you're right, I think, are we... What is a realistic ending to this? Is there a realistic ending? Um, And when when you get there, even like when you get there and you say, okay, veterinary medicine is my jam and you know it is – this is it brings us to this conversation you and I were having before we we started here of this unicorn clinic idea and saying like – is it that we need a clinic to be the perfect clinic that we need it to be or can we be a person – who can be effective in many situations. Right. And again, for me, and I love that, like, I believe that the unicorn is a journey. Like, I, I don't think it's a, an estate. I think it is an ambition and aspiration, right? So, so like, what you really want to do, at least in my opinion and experience, is surround yourself with people that are all in sync with that goal, right? So they want to make your your practice, your life better. They want to make the care of patients priority. They want to make you know, sure that everybody is supported and grows, right? So that's the pursuit of the unicorn. I think sometimes, again, this is one of those classic dilemmas of is it the destination or the journey? And, you know, I'm a journeyman. So I'm like, hey, you know, we may never get to that 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 uh, unicorn state, you know, we may always be pursuing it. But if we're all pursuing it, Becky, I think that's really, for me, the most fulfilling. But I also love the fact that, you know, with this conversation I was having, I and, and all the conversations that you and I are having with our colleagues across the country is, are we somehow saying, it's about the money, which it is, and we need to be paid more and all that stuff. But are we now substituting out, you know, an increase in salary or compensation in lieu of actually digging down deep and saying what would make me happier and more fulfilled and find meaning? Well, I think this is an interesting point because I was reading an article that came through on my email. So I can't give credit, not that we always give credit, but I can't give credit to the to the article itself. But it was an interesting point in saying basically like, However many, you know, the majority of individuals at this point would give up money for more meaningful work. And so in that light, it almost seems like a trade-off, right? It's meaningful work or money. I'll give up money if I can have more meaning. I'll give more meaning if I can have more money. Like, what is it? So it sounds to me like if the work is not meaningful, then we take the money route because it's like, well... If I'm going to go do the same job and I'm not fully fulfilled here, let's go see if money fills that hole. Um, and then this is where we get into kind of your point, I think, about the personal work. Because 
if you are if you're just stuffing different things in holes to see what fits and fills the best without truly understanding what it is that that hole needs to fill it, then you're always going to have this misfit, right? And so there is this important personal aspect about it that in no way is it pointing fingers, but it's saying like, hey, as we're talking about finding the place to work that is the best for you and finding personal and professional fulfillment, are you also looking at your role in what is and isn't working in these various places? And the important part of that and what you said earlier is the problems quote unquote followed her there that may or may not be a realization of they may or may not have come with her. (laughs) They may not have come behind her. They may have actually been directly associated. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's where the personal work comes in, where we're just trying to say like, and I think it's important to think about because first of all, you know, some people, unicorns are rhinoceroses, right? Like they look different. So if you tell me you are at a unicorn clinic, then I know that that is applicable to you and your colleagues. But it doesn't mean it's a universal unicorn. And if you don't have an idea of what your unicorn looks like for the same reason that your wife knew who she didn't want to be with, it made it easier to know who she did want to be with. Yeah, and that's right. So again, you know, going out there, experimenting, learning, all that stuff is is really important. But at the same time, really self-reflecting on, you know, maybe shortcutting the process by looking into deeply into yourself of what brings you that satisfaction. So again, you know, Becky, I think that we're kind of in this unprecedented time where there's never been a better time to change jobs. There's never been more compensation being thrown at us than ever before. And, and the demand is just, you know, skyrocketing. And so that I think is a temptation. So I think that, you know, what I would really encourage you is before you just bail out on your job to pursue more money is that you really kind of look back and say, hey, am I really happy here? And then take that to your boss to ask for a raise. Like I think there's also this sort of undercurrent here, Becky, that you and I have talked about on the podcast a lot the past year is that don't, you know, if you like your current job, but you feel like you're underpaid or undervalued, this is a great time to ask for a raise in my opinion, right? Because your boss, I almost guarantee you, if you're a good employee, a, a positive contributor contributor to your team, Becky, I would much rather pay you more, save you, than have to go through the process of hiring and training and all that stuff. Hmm. Yep. That's a tough one because we also say don't make them come ask you. <laughs> if you've got amazing employees or out there doing the thing and you would think to yourself how sad you'd be if they were gone – let them know and throw them a little money if you can give that raise. If if if, if you can't, if you knew that they came to you and said, "Hey, I'm going to quit or need a raise," go ahead and give them that raise before they have to give you the ultimatum, um, and and be that unicorn clinic. That's how you get to be that role, right? But you're absolutely right. Be aware that the bargaining tool is out there, so this might honestly be the best time to dig deep and to find the answers to those questions because if you do feel restless. If you have been thinking now is the time, there is more demand than ever, I can make more of a demand than I've ever been able to, you know, no differently than you clean up your resume, kind of clean up your internal, um, you know, job search, internal resume, internal lineup so that you know. Because, again, I think if we don't know what it is we need, and we've talked about this extrinsically, right, in terms of money and Um, you know, time and personal stuff or whatever. But like, if you don't know what it is that is important to you in terms of that fulfillment in that workplace, 
you won't get the opportunity to um, to find that meaningful work for you. And then I think it does become about money. And since we know we're in a field with no money, it becomes about resentment. And I think it is part of this whole like chain reaction that happens within the industry. And I, and I don't know that we take the personal responsibility. Yeah. And I love what you said too, Becky, if you're a manager or owner listening to our podcast, you know, be aware that like in this situation that, that I just was telling you about with this young vet, that was an unsolicited email that she got, right? I mean, and so if you think that your employees right now, if they're a vet, vet tech, heck, if they work in your clinic, there's a very good chance that they are being flooded by offers. And these offers are some, sometimes incredibly exorbitant and very tempting for many of us, right? So, I mean, yeah, you know, Becky, I'm, I am constantly <laughs> getting these emails also. And, you know, it's like, okay, um, but, you know, you, I mean- Are you going to quit? Do I need to- are you and I going to have to work to find a – is your grass green here, Dr. Ernie? I need you uh, You know, the, the podcast. <laughs> Are other podcasts soliciting you? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But it's so funny, you know. Again, just yeah. – this we're in this time when it's just – they're so desperate for people, Becky. They're just sending it out to everybody. You know, if there's a DVM, a, an RBT, CVT, LVT behind their name, Becky, just expect that they are being overwhelmed. Well, and I think you make a really good point in, in a couple ways because – one thing that was making me think of is the fact is, is even if you are in a spot where everything is fantastic for you and you are in your quote unquote unicorn clinic, you're probably still kind of short staffed. You're probably still experiencing some turnover in some way. It's inevitable, right? People move, people, whatever. That means your situation is still volatile. And so what can then happen is you've been in this place for however long and things have been great. And then all of a sudden overnight that changes and you are then left not knowing what it is that you're looking for or having those personal boundaries or having that personal plan. And you have to change your plan. You're forcibly made to change your plan. I mean, I've even seen really sad situations. In fact, just this past year, husband and wife clinic where the husband passed from COVID, like 38 years old or something. Clinic gets sold. You know, veterinarians pass away. I've, I've known more than one technician whose clinic has closed overnight because of something like that. And so it's like even if you are sitting in a very comfortable spot where you're really happy, all of this information I think is pertinent for you to sit and think about because your situation's never guaranteed, but your need for job is. Well, well, Becky, let's now kind of spend the last half of today's conversation to what we set up at the beginning was what are realistic expectations, right? I mean, we work with the public, therefore there's going to be a certain amount of, you know, conflict that we have to endure. We also work typically for other people. So there's always going to be a boss manager hierarchy in play. We also have to work with a wide diversity of personalities and experience levels. So coworkers are always going to be a potential challenge for us. So Becky, what, what are, I mean, honestly, the only winner here for us always is the pet patients because they're, they're why we do it to begin with. But let's get back to, you know, like what, what do we expect? I mean, I think that, that we have to understand, it doesn't mean we have to accept the, the worst behaviors, but working with the public, Becky, that's a good starting point. There's always going to be, you know, like they used to say, you know, back in the eighties that if you work with the general public, 4% of those interactions, transactions are just going to be wonky, right? You're just not going to match up personality wise. They're not going to appreciate what you do, vice versa. So, you know, Becky, what do you think about that? Like, you know, should we expect that all of our client transactions go swimmingly well and everybody loves us? Or should we tolerate, you know, 4% of them being all wonky? What, what, what do you say about that? 
You know, I think it has more to do with knowing, I, w- I want to say this right, for, for what I see is when there's no end in sight for a change. So if, a, if I talk to a technician who doesn't feel supported by management or there aren't good, you know, SOPs or regulations or transparency and clarity in place, that's where I see these things tending to go wrong. Because for the most part, when a technician has a situation with a client where it is unacceptable, that client's fired, the police are called, the, the technician is supported. When they don't feel supported, when they when management is never around, when they're a, when they feel that the clients are allowed to abuse them, it's this is like a tipping point, right? Like this isn't any one incident that creates a situation. So if you're if you if it comes down to like should clients be allowed to do this that or the other, it's just like you just don't have a healthy culture of support and um like we always say just here's what we allow and here's what we don't. So. I think that you should not have to go into your job, no matter what you do, teachers included, and feel threatened by anyone. That is so important to repeat what Becky just said, because here, here's the deal, right? We know that some of the public, they're going to be just not nice to us, right? And then there are boundaries. Everybody has their own personal boundaries. But as long as you know that your management and your team has your back, Becky, I mean, that's what gets you through it, right? Because you're like, eh, it sucks, you know? And I think most of us that work in vet med understand that a certain amount of clients are just going to be crappy, right? You know, it's just going to be a, it's not going to be pleasant. But what, where we fail is if we feel like we're the only person who has to shoulder that responsibility, we take all that emotional pressure on ourselves. And I think you're right. If you can just sit around and and know your manager's got you, that if it escalates to a certain level, they're out of here. You know, that you got a coworker or colleague who's going to help you, or maybe just say, Hey, Becky, great job. I'm so sorry that Mrs. Smith was like that today. I mean, that's what kind of makes the difference when dealing with the public. I mean, is that, I think that's what you're saying. 100%. 100%. Like, I think about I think about the customer service reps when you're on the phone, right? And it, not that I would ever know from experience, but if you curse at them, they basically will tell you, like, hey, if you curse at me again, I'm going to disconnect the call. Like, and they have that to lean into. That is a company policy. They are not allowed to disconnect the call. But if you are yelling, if you're this, if you're that, you're allowed to disconnect the call. So if I know as an employee, if a client says X, Y, or Z, I'm allowed to just put everything down and walk out of the room and go get my manager and somebody else will deal with it, then I am, that is an elimination from my problem and I know where my line is very clear. But when we see some clients throw TVs and some clients swear and some clients be super pleasant and like it's all over the board, it's a little bit harder and you don't know where it lies and you don't know where you're allowed to Uh, walk out of the room and not feel like you might lose your job over it. And so, yeah, I think when it comes to just any kind of interaction like that, being very clear from a management standpoint, we support you. It's like when you, like a bartender, I was thinking about, you know, I used to bartend waitress. It was like management was like, if if you say they got to go, they got to go. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm not asking questions. I'm supporting you. We need our, our staff to feel that way when it comes to client interactions. And our clients need to know there's a zero tolerance policy, although that shouldn't even be a thing. But we are in a super weird time right now where it is absolutely a thing. Um, But yeah, no one should go to work and feel unsafe, like bottom line. And if you have a job where you don't feel like you're supported, that you you would feel unsafe. And that's that's whether it's with a patient or a client, then then like that's what we're talking about. That's bottom line. But 
what we run into more often is there's the place with the queen bee. There's the place with the drama mama. There's the place with inappropriate jokes. And those become the things that are a little bit harder to know where to sort them out. Yeah, and I like that. I want to get to the colleagues in just a second. But but again, you know, viewfinders, one last little bit when we talk about like dealing with the public in addition to, you know, you should have support. You should have, like Becky said, if I say this person has to go, there's no questions, right? It's like, we, we got you. Uh, but the other thing is, are you also being supportive? Are you also being nurturing? Do you go, get somebody's back, you know, when they need it? Because if you're not a part of that solution, Becky, then you are probably part of the problem. Does that make sense also? Yeah. And, and this is what I see. And we've talked about this before is a lot of times you become the person because if you're not being, if you're not the target, you know, then you might as well jump in because then you're not the target. And so you reinforce that behavior and you're exactly right. What is your personal role in all this? Well, I didn't start it, but did you participate in it? So again, I think that's food for thought when you're trying to evaluate, you know, if you need to change jobs. The second thing I want to talk about, Becky, just is relationships with your bosses or managers, right? Because let's face it, you know, that's that's always a tricky relationship. Part of this conversation I had did involve a manager recently reviewing her monthly revenue. So this doctor was paid uh, on a also on a production basis. There was a salary plus some produ- production bonuses. And apparently the manager wasn't entirely satisfied with certain revenue sectors. Um, And so this person felt, you know, oh, this is not good, blah, blah, blah. But Becky, I mean, some of that, that's just part of the job. And I would say that if you don't want to be have have pressure on your revenue, you know, then you need to be clear with that up front. But I think also we're in an era where these small clinics, independently owned clinics, Becky, have just paid the highest salary or signing bonus that they've ever done, never imagined it. And so they're probably also saying, am I getting my money's worth? So any tips on on like how to navigate, whether you're a tech, a vet, whomever, like the relationship between your boss and you and maybe even pressure to produce. I Well, I think that's really important, right? Is if, is it, does it feel like, and I, you know, obviously there's a lot of factors, how long, how experienced all these things, like, especially when it comes to production, but this makes me think very much that if like the production was kind of a, a catalyst for the conversation, is it this unpleasantness around feeling like you have to produce and you can't do regular medicine like the way you wanted to or the way you feel like you should or X, Y, or Z, whatever it is? Or is it more like I don't want to be micromanaged? Because I know there is a lot of individuals in our industry who have a certain personality type that don't always do great with feedback. And part of that comes from feeling like we're doing our very best job and working very hard to be perfect and, and to be perfection. And so the, the criticism feels very difficult. Um, and this is where we're talking about do your work on you. How well do you receive criticism? So I would kind of be like, well, was it honest? You know, was she missing a lot of charges, which there's a lot of poor medicine being done and therefore we weren't producing? Was it you're just taking plain old too long and I, I have the numbers to back up my technician complaints? I mean, there's a lot to go into that, right? But like, to me, if that's a catalyst, I want to know more about what is it linked to. Yeah. And like you said, doing the work because you do, if you work 
with other people, for other people, you have to expect feedback because that's the only way they can help you grow, right? So I, I love what Becky said because I think sometimes we do have a perfectionist attitude and therefore if anybody even questions or calls into question something that we're doing, no matter how minor it may really be, wow, it becomes this huge issue with us. Uh, well, no, we do expect feedback. We want positive feedback. We're accustomed to positive feedback. We're accustomed to hearing we're brilliant. How did you think about that? Think about the things people say to you on a regular basis. Like I have people regularly say, how do you have time to do everything you do? And it's so much positive feedback all the time. It's such a beautiful thing. It builds you up, builds you up. And you feel like, yeah, you're really, really on it. One time somebody said something junky about my voice. Well, twice they went out of their way to say it, you know, and I'm to pieces about it. Um, so it, it part of it is we're conditioned for positive feedback because we are those overachievers who make A's and B's and, you know, meet our goals and remove obstacles and heal animals and, and conquer diseases. And <laughs> Like, what do you mean I'm not giving enough vaccines? Like, to us, I think that can be so diminishing if we don't have real resiliency and honesty inside of ourselves to where that isn't a hard thing to hear because for me – and I always tell my editing story. The first time I got edited, I told the person, you might as well wrote this yourself. And I am so much a better writer today because of those. But I wasn't in a place emotionally and mentally to hear it in the first place the first time I was I was edited. We don't always have the emotional capacity for this type of feedback to where we are expecting anything but negative feedback. And and a, and, a, and a little tiny sidebar, but this is also why we don't wait until reviews to give this information, right? Because then that hit her very hard. Like she went in there with an ex- expectation because there had been no previous information that this was going to be a problem or at least creating a scenario here and now where there wasn't. Yeah. And that's a good point because I think this actually was at like her 90 day review type thing. So good, good point and good catch on that. And the final thing, Becky, just, uh, you know, what are some of the expectations of working with other human beings, you know, your colleagues, because, you know, I don't think it's realistic to expect that everybody on your team is going to be your best friend. I don't think that everybody on any workforce is always going to be in perfect sync with our beliefs and, you know, life, life experiences. I mean, how do you work with a wide diversity of folks? Well, I don't. You see, I work from home by myself. But it's because, truthfully, it it is a really hard thing to do. And I liked what you said in terms of, like, having to work with a diverse group of people and and kind of being able to, quote, unquote, deal with that in the sense that, like, it's it's a matter – I when you say friends, I kind of – I had to learn that the really hard way. I – you, y'all know about my rose-colored glasses, and I thought, I'm going to walk into every clinic, and we're all going to get along, and we're all going to be friends. We're working for the same cause, and I got knocked down hard and fast, right? And then I was quickly on that other team of, like, you know, going. you have to be put through the gauntlet and initiated, and I'm, I'm mad at everything because I guess that's what we're supposed to do. And so – no, I don't think you're supposed to be friends at work. I really don't. It's 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 okay if you are, I guess, but definitely at work, it's not a place to be friends. It's a place to be a team and colleagues and coworkers, and that needs to be differentiated. And that is a really difficult thing to do, I think, especially in the small work environments that a lot of us are in, where it's 10 people on a team and you can't help it, um, but to build these personal relationships. So I for for me, I think it's really hard when 
we for for one thing i think this is the importance of including your entire team in the hiring process and then this is the other importance of your interview process you need to get to know everybody on the team you need to ask the questions you need to to take ownership in interviewing the place that you're going to work as much as it is interviewing you Again, I think a lot of times we go in there, we sell ourselves as these magnificent beings and we're really excited to be here and we'd love to come work for you. And the truth of the matter is, is we have no idea if we'd like to come work for them at all. We we have, you know, a 150-word post and a job offer that says if we do or don't. Um, and so I think being more proactive in the front end of things. But, I mean, like, what do you, what did you do in practice? How did, how did you guys navigate that? Because, you know, you are the example of a, a small clinic where everybody's working very close. Right. And I think I love what you said. It reinforces sort of my uh, leadership philosophy, is, and that is I was friendly without being your best friend. And, you yeah. know, so I was very supportive, nurturing, you know, as a leader, as a boss. Uh, but also, you know, we didn't go out drinking on the weekend. I mean, we weren't, we weren't besties, you know. And uh, yeah. so, so there, there are lines that I think anybody can agree with, uh, at least most of us can agree with. The other part of this is the team hiring, you know, team interviewing so that we try to sync up everybody you're going to work with, you know, that's who you got hired. So, you know, the, all the techs wanted you to interview with them, you know, and, and, and vice versa, that goes both ways. So I think it's really important to know what you're, you're getting into. The other thing is, like you said, you know, we tried to really express our culture, you know, who we were, what we were about, um, more so than the the salary, right? You know, and even though we were, you know, always the highest paying vet clinic, you know, for for an hour or more um, around for us, you know, we knew that it was the culture that that people stick with, right? You know, I mean, yeah. we knew that ultimately money can hold your feet to the fire, but only for so long. And so the culture, the relationships, and and again, you know, Becky, I think it just really comes back to that support, that really you know encouraging atmosphere that you try to create, that environment that is trying to elevate people as opposed to tear them down or one-upmanship and all that stuff. I think that those are really the tenets that you're looking for. And, and again, you know, I think for me, Becky, the reason I wanted to have this conversation with the viewfinders this week is the fact that there's a lot of talk about changing jobs. There's a lot of money being thrown at us and there's a lot of different opportunities that we've never had before. And I just want us to try to be as educated and informed when we make those decisions because this is a big life event. And, you know, I also think that no matter where you are in your career, no matter how how young you are, you know, you should view every job change, at least in my opinion, Becky, as a big deal, right? You should take it very seriously. And I don't want us to kind of get to this cavalier because I can also tell you being on the other side of the ledger, when I'm looking at these resumes and, and one of my other um, businesses, we were recently hiring and, you know, I was seeing veterinarians, you know, Becky, that, that had worked at a place for six months and then there's a two month gap and they'd worked somewhere else for eight months and there was a month gap, you know, and you're kind of like questioning, right? Is is this a person that I actually want to to hire? And even though they might be perfect and they might be ready to commit at this stage in their life, I don't know that I want to take that chance. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that's exactly. I mean, and I think that's where the 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 transparency and the and the conversations have to come in, and we have to kind of break down some of these stigmas. I mean, the, the that's exactly it. Is it's like are these people job hopping, jumping around, looking for the absolute perfect scenario or situation? Um, or have they been exposed to a couple really bad scenarios and situations and had to risk their career on getting out of it? Um, I hate that we're even in that position. I think that longevity on the job is is a tough one when we need to look at it because I know that there are, are stints in my 
past where I've been at jobs 18 months, two years, or four or five years. And and, and we have to understand that the average time at a job is changing um, to where it isn't 30 years anymore. And five years is considered longevity. But at the end of the day, it's, again, I think important for us as individuals looking for these jobs to to know what we're looking for. But then also, I think, for these hiring managers to to have those conversations and to create transparency and comfort. And I personally call it right out and give a person an opportunity to explain that and say, hey, but that's even if you can get in front of them because your resume might get looked right over. That's what I was going to say. And my best advice to you right now, having just looked at about 80 of these applications, is that the people that included a cover letter and maybe had some explanations, because we had a couple of really good candidates who Becky just kind of told it point blank what had happened. They had moved, had a relationship, you know, and and so, oh, I get it now. That's why you're there for six months. And that's why it took you two months to find another job. Like, boom, done. Now I now I want to I learn more about you, right? Because it sounds like you're in a different place. But if you're just filling out that resume and just putting it up on LinkedIn or Indeed or wherever, you know, I mean, like Becky, Becky said, you just might not get that next look. Well, Viewfinders, this has been a really interesting conversation. I hope it will maybe spark a few ideas for you. I hope it'll maybe help you reevaluate like what you're looking for and expect in a job. And more importantly, I think that it can help, I hope it can help the entire profession continue to move forward because I am super, super stoked and excited about all the changes that have happened, especially during the past couple of years with the demand and increases in salaries and benefits and just opportunities in general. But I also want us to now maybe give a little bit of a pause and reflect on what it is that we want, right? Why do we do the things that we do? Because I think if you can combine now a better salary, better working conditions, better benefits and responsibilities with actually syncing up with your why, Becky, I mean, this profession is going to be on fire. We will level up, you know, without any effort whatsoever. That's that's really what I think we're lacking. You have, I feel this sort of undercurrent of tension out there. And I think that the way we're going to get through it is by actually now really unlocking our whys, our personal motivations and find that meaning. Hopefully that made some sense. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's like you said, I think going back to the why is one of the best things you can possibly do. And I think as a manager or an individual um, knowing why you want to work somewhere or why somebody wants to work there. But I think all in all, yeah, this is just about don't waste that opportunity. Um, There is great opportunities out there right now. And I think if you can be uh, cerebral about it and think about your, you know, where you as a person want to fit in, uh, you can find the clinic that's best for you. And that's, I think that's all we really want for everybody is to find the spot where they feel the best. So our profession advances, like you said. Gosh, I just want us to be a herd of unicorns. So viewfinders, you can do us a huge favor by sharing these stories on your social media. You can definitely reach us at Veterinary Viewfinder on Instagram, on Facebook, at Vet Viewfinder on Twitter if you're so inclined. Uh, But most importantly, just go over to Apple Podcasts, click on five stars. That helps us reach more colleagues like yourself. And if you've got a question or comment or a topic that you'd like for us to cover, definitely email us at veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. I do want to say it's my birthday this week. So uh, if you would go over and give us five stars and a review for my birthday, it would make me so happy. I um, am now an iPhone user. I joined, I joined the iPhone world of things, and so now I can see your comments. Um, so please, please leave nice ones, because now I'm, I'm looking at you in the purple dot, in the purple square. 
I love it. I love it. That's right. And Becky uh, turns 25 today, or, or this week, so we're super excited. 25 Becky, is a I special. Can rent a car. That's right. You can rent a car. Viewfinders, wish her a happy birthday in the comments. We will talk to you next week. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Happy birthday.